Welcome to Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris, where we talk about relevant issues as it relates to individuals in grief as they navigate finances and the advisors who help them. We help clients in grief navigate financial matters. We also teach advisors how to emotionally and financially work with clients in grief through an unparalleled process. This week's episode is sponsored by Life After Grief Financial Planning and Life After Grief Consulting. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Life After Grief Chris. I've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners wanting to know more about hospice and especially my experience with hospice. So on today's episode, I'm going to talk about hospice and exclusively hospice. I'm going to go into the origins of hospice, my experience, and how I transitioned into volunteering. Okay, so the origin of hospice. The word hospice comes from the Middle Ages in Europe when hospices offered refuge to travelers. Many of them were pilgrims to religious centers seeking a cure for some kind of an ailment. Prior to the 20th century, people died at home. In modern time, however, dying turned into an entirely medical issue and removed the dying process from homes or hospitals. We owed the creation of the modern-day hospice to two very influential European women. In 1967, the first hospice was established in London by Cicely Saunders, a British nurse, social worker, and physician. She named the first hospice St. Christopher's. I can say that I'm a little bit partial to the name, and I actually like the name a lot. After witnessing the terrible suffering experienced by dying patients in a cancer ward, she focused on finding the right mixtures of medication to treat pain. This is going to be important as we kind of develop and go into hospice. She gave this preparation to patients whenever they needed it, and she made her hospice look and feel like a home instead of an institution, ultimately making people feel a lot more comfortable during the process. One year after St. Christopher's opened its door, another woman, Swiss psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, published her revolutionary work on death and dying. She brought death to the forefront in an effort to understand what those who were actually in the process of dying experienced. In the United States, Congress authorized the Medicare hospice benefit in 1982. This is very important as it's pertinent to anyone who has questions about payment for hospice. And I'll go into that a little bit later. Medicare pays the hospice provider for your hospice care. And I'll also provide a link at the end of the podcast for more information on hospice care. Basically, you can find any information on the Medicare.gov website. Hospice specifically specializes in the care of dying. It offers comfort and symptom control, palliative care specifically. Hospice care is brought to the patient wherever the patient is. When a patient is at home, generally a family member becomes his or her primary caregiver with the support of the whole hospice team. Statistically, the median length of care for hospice patients is less than one month. And that was definitely the case with my mother. Dying is a normal process. Hospice provides specialized care for the terminally ill. Its mission is to care for the whole person and his or her family. I experienced that firsthand. The unit of care consists of the patient and his or her family. 
And I'm going to go into some details about, you know, what the team looks like in a little bit. Hospice in the United States must follow certain guidelines to admit patients. A terminal diagnosis, usually less than six months, consent to care, and a designated area of service. Hospice does not seek to cure an illness that is no longer curable, thus prolonging the dying process. Instead, it affirms quality of life and the dignity of each person. I'm going to go into that with my mother as well. Hospice service is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so 24-7. The hospice interdisciplinarian team, IDT, implements a plan of care the patient and family agrees with. The team oversees and carries out this plan of care, meeting every week to discuss the needs, goals, and interventions. I can attest to this as, the vol- as a volunteer. The term palliative care is pivotal to hospice. Palliative care means to improve a patient's condition by controlling symptoms like pain without using aggressive artificial means to prolong life. All patients, not only the terminal ill, can benefit from palliative care. Palliative care is always associated with hospice. Palliative care does not cure an illness. It provides the quality of life by providing comfort. Pain is one of the biggest problems associated with illness, whether life-ending or not. From the very beginning, Cicely Saunders, who I spoke about before, understood the importance of pain control. It improves not only the patient's life, but also the family's well-being. Other symptoms addressed by hospice are anxiety, shortness of breath, nausea, among others. Hospice uses other techniques for symptom control besides medication, like relaxation, breathing, art, music, light massage, coloring, things that you would think of for elementary age kids. I just kind of added those, but I've experienced those as a volunteer hospice. Volunteers play a pivotal role in palliative care. The very presence of a volunteer creates a pleasant distraction in the patient's life. Volunteers can also notice if a patient's pain increases and can then notify the team. I'll go into this a little bit more into detail. Some patients choose to take pain medications. Some families fear the patient may become addicted or even die before their time due to medications. Hospice honors and respects each patient and his or her family. Nobody is forced to accept medications, and there is always the choice to revoke the service at any point. A hospice patient should be offered food and drink but allowed to refuse them. The human body needs less and less as the moment of death approaches. It is actually harmful to force drinking food when a person is in the last stage of life. It hinders the natural process of a body that is literally shutting down. So I got a lot of this information. I'm going to reference this. This is of the Hospice Volunteer Training Series, and it's called Tools for the Sunset of Life by Pat Carver, and it's specifically pages 15 through 24 and 55 through 63, and the year was 2007. So I think I did a pretty good job of explaining hospice in book terms, but I want to explain hospice in real terms in kind of my life experience. So in 2008, my mother was diagnosed as having less than six months to live as her terminal illness of metastatic breast cancer had come back. At that moment in the hospital, the social worker gave us a few options in terms of hospice. They gave us a couple of different companies that provided hospice. We chose one of them at a very high recommendation, and 
I recall them saying that my mother would have a dedicated nurse and would come and be with her 24 hours a day in addition to the regular nurse at the facility. I had no idea what hospice was at the time. Uh, It's just kind of going with the flow and there was so much emotion and so much that was going on. In addition, as my mother's health began to decline, they would monitor her health more closely to that of a hospital, but in her nursing facility. My mother's wish was not to be kept alive artificially, but she did not mind being comfortable while she was declining. That is very important as I went go back to the book description of hospice. My mother had an incurable disease and hospice came in and there was no cure for her, but they were going to make her as comfortable as possible for as long as possible. And so when my mother took a turn for the worse, she stopped eating and drinking. And again, they are not, they meaning hospice, their job is not to force eating and drinking because it delays the dying process. And I believe at that point, we had a nurse around the clock from hospice. And our message to the hospice organization was to make her comfortable with no pain. My mother lasted less than two weeks after hospice was called in. Their bedside manner was tremendous. I cannot say enough about how well they treated my mother and how well they kept me informed um, because I was the point person for the family. After my mother passed away, they offered bereavement services. My father and I both declined. Um, I'm not sure if my brother was aware that they offered those because I believe he was probably back in another state at the time. And in retrospect, I wish we had taken them up on the offer. I liken our declination of the bereavement services to two men trying to tough out things uh, as I've kind of gone through the differences between men and women um, and how they um, grieve. And so not a good look for either myself or my dad, but we had no idea. And so uh, I wish, again, that we had taken a hospice up on the offer. So how does hospice work? There is a team of hospice, much akin to a sports team. In my experience as a volunteer, I have some experience with the team firsthand. And here are the team members. It's basically a group of uh, seven or so folks. There's a team position. I liken that to a team doctor. There's a patient care manager, a PCM. It's the nurse who leads weekly meetings. There's a case manager, and there's usually one per patient, and it is the nurse under the PCM who gives skilled care to the patient. There's also a certified nursing assistant. They are generally responsible for providing personal care and hygiene needs, maybe giving a bath or something like that if the individual is unable to do so. Social worker. They assess the social, emotional, and financial factors of the patient and the family. Chaplain. Someone who provides spiritual counseling, there's a little known fact, you don't have to be spiritual or religious to have a chaplain. They are trained for both spiritual um, folks and folks of all faiths and no faiths. I didn't know that uh, before I went through my training. So I thought that was very, very good. And it's someone that the dying individual and or family can just speak to and there's no judgment There's nothing there, and the chaplain is trained to really listen to the individual and or the families and um, just really be a sounding board. Volunteers, someone like me, I provide companion services, among others. We are expected to give reports to the volunteer coordinator. One of the very, very important things for the volunteer is to provide, again, like I said, companion services. 
But it's very important that we give a report. There are sometimes things that we see that maybe the nurse may not see just because of timing. The nursing assistant may not see the chaplain or anyone else. So we provide a report. I'm going to give you a little bit of a story here. So there was a um, patient that I was seeing and the patient was declining. And I think I was the first person that probably noticed the decline, not because of any great wisdom on my own. I just took the training to heart that hospice gave me. And it was just a timing situation. And I notified my care coordinator that I noticed that the patient that I was seeing started to slow their breathing and a lot of things in their physical um, demeanor had changed. And I notified them that I think this person is going to pass on to the other side. And it wasn't a week later, I actually went to visit my patient that my patient passed away um, that morning. So my experience, it allows me to be a little bit closer because I've seen my mother pass away my father passed away and I've seen some other deaths that are very near and dear to me. And I'm able to see and feel things uh, probably that the average person hasn't experienced. And so and then there are other times where I may notice things that the facility may have missed, not because of any neglect or anything, but just some extra attention that needs to be garnered for the patient that I'm going to see. Like I noticed that their clothes are dirty or they're having a hard time eating by themselves. So I notify the facility and we are as volunteers are trained to be in the moment with our patients free of any distraction and have no judgment and really just listen and, you know, be there for the individual, you know, that we're seeing. What services does hospice offer? I think it did a pretty good job of explaining those above. And there's some other services that are offered that I didn't really go into. So grief support programs for families at no cost. You don't even have to have had a family member go through hospice. I have referred clients and friends alike to hospice for bereavement and grief services. My experience with hospice. Great, wonderful. We'd recommend it to anybody and I would recommend it all over again. I even recommend, like I said before, bereavement services to clients who have no current relationship with hospice. Now, what do I do for hospice? I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. So I've been volunteering for hospice since 2017. I volunteer about a week or so going to visit a patient in a facility. Then upon my exiting the facility, I call and or email a report to my volunteer coordinator. Above anything else, like I said before, we are trained to be in the moment with our patients and put their needs above our own. We are expected not to judge, make assumptions, or disclose personal information. And the knowledge that I've gained and the benefit that I provide families is, it's invaluable. I feel so good when I go and I visit the patient the families, when I see the families and I may just, you know, make mention um, about something or, you know, provide them a relief to talk uh, about their loved one. And it, it's just, it's tremendous. And I really, really enjoy doing it. And I talked about, you know, setting boundaries before, you know, going and visiting a hospice patient, it is the most 
carefree time in my day. And it's really weird to explain it, but I'm just going to give uh, to someone else and their family. And it just, it feels so good. It, it just reminds me of the gift that I was given, you know, when my mother was passing away. So, and the people that work with hospice, these are all highly trained individuals beyond the training of their individual field of expertise. As I previously mentioned, hospice required me to take about 20 to 30 hours of training. So I was basically able to give the best volunteer service possible. So as I mentioned, the team above from the team physician all the way down to the volunteer, you know, they are skilled and trained in their individual profession. But beyond that, they're giving some specialized hospice training that goes above and beyond so they can give the best possible care to families. And like I said, again, I can't you know brag enough on hospice and the great things that they do. And that's why I decided to volunteer for the organization. And if you have any questions on hospice, please visit medicare.gov and you can search under the publications tab and just plug in hospice. A lot of information will be there on how it's offered, you know, the details, all the great things that are offered for hospice. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Hope this podcast was very informative. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me. And as always, I appreciate you listening. Thanks and see you in the next episode. for listening to our podcast. If you are a client and are looking to work directly with me, Chris, and or my firm, head on over to Life After Grief FP. That is Life After Grief FP. The FP is for financial planning.com. If you are an advisor looking to emotionally and financially work with your client in grief, or if you are a client looking to get your advisor's head in the game, head on over to lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. That is lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. Any information referenced in this week's podcast will be located here in the podcast section. And as always, please feel free to share this week's podcast with any friend, family member, or colleague. Thanks for listening. See you next week on the next episode.